Well, turn in your Bible over to 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Important responsibilities in the family of God. Important responsibilities in the family of God. The local church is a marvelous gift from God. An effective church is a multi-generational church. I love to be around all ages and see the interaction that goes on, the discipleship, the encouragement, the help that takes place. From people getting saved to being a part of the senior saints in our ministry and ministering to them, to children singing in the church, that's always a blessing. To people experiencing freedom over drug addiction, that is a huge encouragement and blessing to see that. To just seeing people transformed by the grace of God through the word of God. What a huge blessing that is. I hope, folks, you value that as we should value that because not everybody has that. I hear from people all the time who are just heartbroken that they don't have a sound church in their area where they can not only attend, but get plugged into and serve the Lord through. And of course, that's God's ideal for all of his children. But this multi-generational issue, one of our ladies before church today, there was coffee and donut time and, and so forth, and oatmeal, of course. We have oatmeal here. We're a very health-conscious church here, so <laughs> along with the donuts. But anyways, uh, we're looking... I don't know that she knew that I was preaching on this section of Scripture today, but she was saying how one day these children, these little ones, little ones, okay, preschool, kindergarten age, elementary age, how one day that they'll appreciate what they've experienced and what they've been a part of growing up in a biblical church, in a godly church. And uh, boy, that is our desire. All three of our daughters did. And they're serving Christ today, and and nothing thrills us more than that, that to know that there's children, that our children are walking in truth and serving the Lord. The local church, a marvelous gift from God. Now, what we have in 1 Timothy is we have some instructions. You notice how we've covered everything in 1 Timothy, from strong Bible doctrine and theology to being tough, to learning the Word of God, to seeing what kind of life we are supposed to live as individuals. And now this is very, very practical in what it's talking about. So we see the first thing here in 1 Timothy chapter 5 is the general treatment of each other. The general treatment of each other. In 1 Timothy 5, 1, it says this, "...rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men..." as brethren. Now the elder here is an older man in the congregation. The emphasis is on him being an older man. It's not so much the position of elder. We'll talk about that next week because that is talked about further down in the passage. Don't you love the scriptures? Covers everything. But this is talking about an older man, an older man. Rebuke not an elder, okay? Now the word rebuke here, this is a very strong word. It means to strike at harshly. It means to chastise with words. It is a very strong word. An older man is to be treated with deep respect, like you would treat your father. You should treat your father with respect. All older men in a local church should be treated that way, with respect. That doesn't mean, by the way, that he's beyond correcting. 
It doesn't mean that. But if he is corrected or needs to be corrected, it is to be done with respect. We are to respect our elders. How many of you have heard that growing up? Okay, almost every hand. Respect your elders. This is what this is talking about. Proverbs 16.31 has a description of somebody who would be an elder. It says, the hoary head, that means gray hair. The hoary head is a crown of glory. Now the verse doesn't stop there. Notice what it says. If, if, that's conditional. If it be found in the way of righteousness. So here's the issue, folks, that this is getting at. A man who walks with Christ during his life, as he gets older and as he comes into his senior years and his hair turns color or becomes gray or or whatever, and, and of course, it doesn't mean you don't respect them if he doesn't have gray hair, okay? What it's saying, though, because we've got some young men who have gray hair, but what it's saying is this. As he walks with Christ, He is going to be gaining in wisdom in the Christian life and in living life and applying the scriptures to life. Listen, we need to see those people as treasures and sources of learning and example, okay? You notice though, but it's only if they're found in the way of righteousness. There are some, I'm just going to tell you, I can say this, I have gray hair. There are some gray-headed fools walking this planet, They've never learned their lesson. They've had their whole lives to learn how things are supposed to be, and they haven't accepted it, or maybe they've just flat out rejected it. Don't respect. Now, respect them as a human being, but don't respect their way as something you want to learn from and adopt. No, it's those who walk with Christ. Those who walk with Christ. We respect all, but especially respect those, because the context here is local church. Especially respect those in the local church who are seniors, who are more mature, more seasoned. These people have a lot to offer. We can learn from them, and we ought to be learning from them. I believe they're an untapped resource in the body of Christ today. Everybody wants to be cool. Everybody wants to be trendy. I have no desire to be cool. You will never see me coming up to the pulpit in ripped up jeans and a shirt that's sticking out and guinea pig hair, just kind of like this. I'm just not going to do it, okay? I'm just not going to do it. Now, most of you are saying, whew, I'm glad I heard that. (laughs) You'd be amazed, though. You'd be amazed how many pastors feel like they have to be that way. It's like... Is that as shallow as we are today? That that is where we're at? You have to be that way? Anyways, I'm getting off track. Respect has to do with character. Verse 2, the elder women. So we talked about the older men. The older women. The elder women as mothers. Treat them. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. The younger men as brothers. Brethren. The elder women as mothers the younger as sisters, and I love this, with all purity. While there is to be a friendly atmosphere in the local church, it is to be one that has mutual respect for those who are a part of it. Notice the instructions concerning younger women. We are to treat them as sisters with all purity. The word purity here is related to holiness, Not only should they be godly and holy in the way they live their lives, but we should treat them with 
proper respect, okay, in an appropriate, an appropriate way. Isn't it interesting in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, you don't need to turn there, but it said, Paul was writing, he says that you learn how to behave yourself in the house of God. Yeah, that has to do with that, doesn't it? Now, when I look at verses 1 through 2, I think of the word dignity. We should treat each other with dignity and with respect. We should treat each other in an appropriate and an honorable way, pure from defilement. Nothing inappropriate. No affairs going on. No affairs going on. Unfortunately, we hear of pastors falling all the time now or on a regular basis who are having an affair with somebody in church. Well, that's a clear violation of Scripture, isn't it? Of course, that's the last thing on their mind when they do that. Now, secondly, we come to, in our passage, the proper care of widows. What a very unique passage this is. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, honor, honor widows that are widows indeed. Now, what does that mean? Well, first thing under this is that she is truly a widow. In other words, her husband has died. And listen, listen now, we're going to focus on this quite a bit here today. Her husband has died and she has no family to take care of her. That's a widow indeed. There are widows and then there are widows indeed. Truly widows. They have no family to take care of them. We are to honor them. The word honor means to value, to care for them. Verse 4, but if any widow have children, now you notice it said but, but if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite or to take care of, to pay back their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now, it's interesting here, the word in verse 4 where it says nephews, we think of younger male individuals. The word is actually written in the uh, neuter gender. So it simply has to do with younger descendants, okay? Some would say grandchildren even would fit in here. But nevertheless, the one who is a widow should be taken care of by the family that they have. Verse 5, now she that is a widow indeed, so here's a widow who has no family, no family at all. She that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplication and prayers night and day. So we see that the proper care of widows, the first is that she is truly a widow. Secondly, she's godly in character. That's what we see in verse 5. Her dedication to the Lord and serving him entitles her to the charity, the caring of the church. This widow walks by faith and is in prayer day and night. That is a characteristic of godly individuals. She is a godly widow. She has, remember, she has no family, and so it is up to the church to take care, to make sure that she is cared for. Some older people in churches wonder sometime, I've heard it, I've been asked this before, pastor, what can we do? We can't do what we used to do. What can we do? Listen, you can pray, pray, pray. If that doesn't sound important, it's because we don't understand how vital it is. Prayer is incredibly important. 
all right? There's a man in the church at Calvary Community Church. He, he's blind. He's been blind his whole life. I believe it's a whole life, Pastor Trout? Yeah. His name is Tom. I'm not sure what his last name is. We've seen this man every... when He was there when, when the Trouts were going to college at Tampa Bay Bible College. He was there, Tom. And every year when we come, he prints out a Christmas card in Braille for us. And then it also, somebody's put words on it as well. But he gives us, every year when we come, he gives that to us. And what his main ministry is at Calvary Community Church is praying for people. And he lets them know when he's praying for them. And there are some people that he calls every day. And I don't know, does he pray with them? Do you remember what they were talking about at dinner? Anyway, I'm thinking to myself, this is amazing. This man is amazing. Completely consistent in the way he lives his life. Well, he's given himself to this. What can he do? He can't do everything, but that is certainly something he can do. So instead of complaining or feeling sorry for himself that he, there's things he can't do, what he's done is he's given his life to things he can do. And by the way, he's a senior who is a widower. Years ago, the church when, that we were part of at Palmetto Bible Chapel in uh, South Miami, when we were doing ministry down there, there was a lady who went to the church when she could. She was such a godly lady. Her name was Minnie Dunn. Minnie Dunn. And I'm not sure what southern state she was from, but she was from the south. There's no doubt about it. You could hear it. And she lived kind of out in the middle of nowhere. She cared for, well, she cared for as best she could, but she had a husband, Charlie, who was completely helpless man, took 24 hours a day care. And she had a lot of time on her hands. Now, she was a avid student of the Word of God passionate. I mean, this, she, was, she knew her Bible. It was amazing how much she knew. But she was given to prayer. And I remember she would get different individuals. And when I would spend my summers down there, I would get on the list. And there were certain days of the week when I would go over. And she wanted us to come over because we were strong enough, or college guys were strong enough to lift up her husband and turn him to where he wouldn't get bed sores. And that's my first experience at something like that. And I was a little freaked out at first, but then I got used to it and realized how important this is. But every time you went over there, she had fixed a complete meal. I mean, she pulled out all the stops. Southern home cooking. It's good stuff. I'm not even sure when she went home to be with the Lord. But here's the thing about Minnie. In our church, we'd have Wednesday night prayer service like in Bible study like we do in our church, very similar. And people would bring up a request, always the same request, same request many times and all that. And I'm not seeing God answer this. I really want God to... Here's what got to be the word. You need to give that prayer request to many. It'll get done. Folks, I can't explain this. It would get done. People could pray... But if you gave the request to Minnie and she started praying, it seemed like it got answered. I can't explain it. Don't even ask me to explain that. All I'm telling you this, this woman was amazing. Very close walk with the Lord. She was godly in character. 
It's emphasized, by the way, in our passage here, also in verse 10. We'll get to that. But let me say this. An ungodly widow can do just as much damage as an ungodly anyone else. So again, age doesn't mean spiritual. You can be very ungodly and be older. You can be godly and be young. It depends on your walk with Christ. And we'll see this issue about the ungodly widow shortly, okay? While not all, many seniors are some of the most godly people that you will ever meet, and they need to be treated with respect. We need to take advantage of the spirituality and the experiences of these folks. Some churches nowadays, they want to ignore the older people and not access them for ministry or help in certain areas. That is a huge mistake. It's an untapped resource. And this is the beauty of local church, if the church is the way it's supposed to be. If I was to go visit a church and all it is is young people, I'll be honest with you, I'm not going back. That's not the church. There are believers of every age, and every church should have believers of every age. And if you don't, you're ignoring certain people. So let's move on. What about the ungodly widow? We've talked about the godly widow. What about the ungodly widow? Verse 6, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Now, that's an unusual term. I'll explain it here. This is the widow who is not living for the Lord. She's a believer. She's in church, but she's not living for the Lord. They are worldly and they're living after the flesh. They're carnal. They think they're really living but they're dead, so to speak, in the way they live. Sin will eventually destroy at least, let me put it this way, sin will eventually destroy or at least waste that individual's life. Now this is true, of course, of all ages. In Romans 8, 6, it says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 7, after these things give in charge that they may be blameless. In other words, direct them to how things are supposed to be. Timothy, teach the church how things are supposed to be. Regardless of your age, you need to be a believer, not only a believer, you need to be somebody who's living your life for Jesus Christ, walking by faith, trusting in him, applying the word of God to life, letting God use you in the ministry, in the lives of other people. There are godly widows, there are ungodly widows. Everyone who's a widow or a widower needs to be a godly individual, regardless of the age. Verse 7, and these things give in charge that they may be blameless. Very, very interesting here. Do you remember blameless from chapter 3? That was the first thing mentioned about elders who rule in the local church who are the leadership in the local church. This is the exact same word as you find in 1 Timothy 3, referring to the elders who lead in the local church. Blameless here is the same qualification as for them. Notice that there are no double standards in the body of Christ. Now, I know I mentioned this when we were there, because understand, folks, People in leadership in a local church, they shouldn't be in leadership unless they're qualified. 
But where does that leadership in the local church come from? It comes from the congregation. It comes from the family of God. People who get serious about the word of God, they're not only born again, but they apply the word to life. They start maturing. They become godly individuals in the way they live their lives. God blesses them with wisdom. And as they get older, then they become qualified. Their lives are consistent. They're not living hypocritical lives. That's what blameless is. Above reproach is the idea. And God says, even the widows and the widowers, the seniors, God expects you to be above reproach as well. A pastor has every right to expect the people in the church to be just as godly as they expect him to be. It's what it's saying. It is what it's saying. Do you know there's a mindset of some believers? It goes like this. Well, you know, I never want to have a ministry in the local church. I never want to be responsible and all that because that means I'm going to have to change my life. If that's what you believe, you're in trouble. If we resist the will of God, it shows that there's a certain level of rebellion in our hearts that we're not submitted to the Lord. And that's not a good place to be, or at least immaturity. Verse 8, now here you go. Very important. Now remember the context, talking about taking care of widows who are widows indeed. In other words, they have no family to take care of them. What if if there are family members, though? Well, verse 8, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house or family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So we've looked at the different issues on a widow. Let me mention this. The next thing here is the source of care for widows. If widows are going to be taken care of, who is going to take care of them? Well, the main responsibility, now listen, church, the main responsibility for the care of widows falls on the family. If there is family, it is the family's responsibility to take care of that widow. It's not the church's. Only those who are widows indeed, no family, is it the responsibility of the church. Now, that doesn't mean we don't care. That doesn't mean we don't want to help. It's just saying that's not where the responsibility falls. And by the way, it goes without saying, it's not the government's responsibility, okay? Government is never designed to be a welfare system. Did you know that? Never. The main responsibility for the care of widows falls on the family. The one who does not take care of his family, and in this case, his mother, who is a widow, is worse in his actions than a lost person. Now, why would the Bible say that? Because even lost people have more sense. I know of families that are, they're not saved people, and they do a better job taking care of their parents than saved people do. It's a tragedy. Now, listen, we live in a a broken society today where, you know, okay, it's a children's responsibility to take care of their parents. We live in a world where kids don't even know who their parents are. That's how twisted we've become. Let me tell you something. If you have children, you are responsible for those children. Take care of those children. And children, as you get older and your parents get older, you start being responsible for their care. 
So keep that in mind. This is the way it's supposed to be. And by the way, that doesn't mean that if caring for them gets to where you can't do it, that you can't look at options. It's just saying that you take care of the need that's there. You be sure that the needs are met. That's what it's saying. The one who doesn't take care of his own family, the one who doesn't take care of his own family, his wife, his children, his parents, he has denied or contradicted or rejected the faith. He's gone against what Christianity is all about. Namely, what is Christianity all about? Loving and caring for one another, isn't it? On a practical plane, isn't that what it's all about? This sin of irresponsibility and negligence in our country today is widespread. There are certain things I struggle with more than others as far as keeping my composure. One of the things that I have a very difficult time with is a man who will not take care of his family, is a man who will not lead. By the way, that's why we have the men of God, Bible studies, to teach men how to be responsible. This is what God expects of you. And not only that, this is how you do it. Do you see the value in that? It's one thing to say, okay, you're responsible. Well, there are some men who say, okay, I'll be responsible. I don't know what to do. Fine. Come out to men of God. We'll show you how to do that. I get it. You don't naturally know, but there's answers. I have no respect for a man who does not care for his family. If there are no sons, then it is the responsibility of the daughters to take care of the mother. The children take care of the parents. The church takes care of the widow when there is no family. But the first is the family. Verse 9, Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, that's 60, having been the wife of one man. So we see next that she is to be 60 years or older. Now there's good reason for this. If she can support herself, she should support herself. Evidently, there were many widows in the early church. Maybe that was through martyrdom or persecution. I'm not sure. But nevertheless, it was an issue. But if she can support herself, she should. Otherwise, it can lead to idleness. I can remember my mom. She said it often. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. That's true. If you are saved, God has a ministry for you. None of God's children should stop serving him until we die. Those of us who are, and all of us are getting older, right? We're not going the other direction. All of us are getting older, folks. Listen, you do not see anywhere in scripture where you stop serving Christ. Your occupation in life is to be a godly believer who's being used of God in the lives of other people might say, well, I'm going to retire. Retire from what? Maybe your occupation, but you don't retire from serving Christ. You may transition to something else. I like the term transition better than retire. You don't just sit and stare out on the porch, just staring out to the field. Oh, I'm retired now. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Moses didn't go into the ministry till he was 80. It's when he started. I didn't want to hear that. Let me tell you something, folks. There's still ministry for you. There's still ministry for me. None of God's children should stop serving him. Verse 10, well reported of for good work. So let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of a faithful man, 
And now you notice the next thing in verse 10. She has a proven pattern of faithfulness. Verse 10, well reported of for good works. If she have brought up children, and if she have lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work, boy, that doesn't sound like an idle life. She's active for Christ. She has a proven pattern of faithfulness. Now you notice it says, wash the saints' feet. That's another way of saying she was hospitable and has a servant's heart to others. It was customary in those days. They didn't have cars and pavement like we do today. The sidewalks, they didn't have that. Everything was dirt or rocks. And as people traveled and they walked when their sandals and so forth, their feet would get dirty. And it was customary in those days when people came into the home to wash the feet of those who traveled dusty roads. All right? That was service to others. Which leads us to the next section here in verses 11 and 12. The younger widows are to be on their own. Notice verse 11, but the younger widows refuse. You don't become responsible for them as a church. The younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation or judgment, because they have cast off their first faith. Now, the wording there is a little tricky. I think it's, it's saying this. The younger women still have the desires of their youth, and their whole focus might not be on the Lord. They can still get married and have children, Now, there is no sin in wanting to be married, but it can become a burning passion and their main interest in life to where they start compromising the principles of God's word. And maybe they'll say, oh, I want to get married or I I can't stand being alone. I want to get married again. And they they become impatient with God's timing and they start seeking out somebody and they meet a man and maybe he's not even a believer or they rationalize that he is a believer, but he's not godly. And so they jump over the barriers God has set up, and what happens? Her life gets destroyed, and she ends up in a mess. Yes, she has a partner, but only for a period of time. This is contrary to what the older widows have given themselves to. Verse 13, and withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, And not only idle, but tattlers, gossips, in other words, also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. Can I say this morning, there is little more dangerous than a not-so-spiritual woman who has plenty of time just to talk. Give yourself to something that is profitable. Serve Christ with your life. Oftentimes they are used by the devil to hurt the local church and those that are in it. Be careful. Be careful. Now, does that mean you can't get together with others? No, I encourage it. I think it's important. Friendships are important, okay? But make sure that the time together is a wholesome time. It's a godly time. It's an encouraging time. Don't ever use it for gossip and hurting other people with your words. And of course, the classic one, which makes all of us sick. Well, I only mention it to you for prayer. Yeah, right. Be careful with that. Isn't it interesting? The Lord knows how people are, verse 13. And by the way, remember, this is written to Christians. With all, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers, also in busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. God knows human nature. 
And he says, don't let yourself become that way. Go back to work or find somebody who's saved and godly, get remarried, have children if you're young enough to do that. Verse 14, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. In other words, don't give yourself to what God says. Don't give yourself to the flesh. Don't just wander. Don't flounder because Satan would love to get involved in your life and to get you sidetracked, which verse 15 tells us this. For some are already turned aside after Satan. Always keep in mind that the devil wants to destroy the church any way he can. If he can do it from the outside, he will. We have people who are continue to attack us and uh, accuse us of teaching false doctrine in our church. They say we're teaching Galatianism and all kinds of weird things, and it's out there. And we have those out there who are defending us and saying, you don't know what you're talking about, and we know these people, and we know what they believe, and we listen to them, and you're out in left field somewhere. And, you know, people will do all kinds of stuff to get a following. You might say, well, pastor, how does that affect you? You know what it does? It's like putting fuel in my tank. Go ahead. I know what we're teaching is the truth. You go ahead and attack And all you're doing is fueling us to go on and be more faithful and to reach more people for Christ. But you see, what people want today is they want a following. And so they'll go to YouTube or Facebook or something like this, and they'll start criticizing everybody else with outrageous comments because outrageous comments is what gets the hits on the Internet. And then you gain a following, and more people start listening to you, and it goes to your head, oh, look at this. Look at all the followers I've got. Look at all the, you know, the likes and all this kind of stuff. How carnal, right? Let's serve the Lord as we should. So there are attacks from the outside, and Satan will do that. But you know what? It's sad when he does an inside job. And those are the things that are more difficult to take. When there's an inside job, when Satan is working in the church, trying to undermine the ministry criticize it, cause divisions, cause problems. Let me tell you, we have a loving church and we care about people and we want to be a blessing to people. But let me tell you, we have an elder board and when they need to, they can be like Dobermans, okay? And something's going on and their ears are up. What's going on? They're very protective of our ministry, We've learned, we've learned from experience. So be careful. Let's serve the Lord together, right? Then we don't have to worry about it. First Peter chapter 5, or verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. How would you feel if you were inside your house, and you looked out, and you saw people sneaking, walking around your house, just kind of looking, trying to look in your window. And you saw them several times a day trying to do that. You'd call the cops, right? I mean, you're not going to put up with that. Can I tell you folks, that's exactly what Satan is doing. He is wandering about. He's looking around. He's watching the lives of the children of God and the family of God. And he's saying, where can I attack this one? Or, well, you know what? This one has, loves to 
talk about other people. Let's tempt this one to start gossiping and start, start a fire about something or another that's not true. Not good. Not good. Listen, we need to be careful. We need to be aware. Verse 16. If a man or a woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them. Let them take care of them. And let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So widows indeed, yes, church, make it a responsibility. But if they're not a widow indeed, in other words, they have no family, it's the family's responsibility to take care of those needs. Again, we see that the church is not to take care of those who are able to take care of themselves. It's family responsibility. But we do need to love, we do need to care for one another and to help one another. That is the way of a good family, and that is the way of a good church. Now, folks, these are issues of the family of God. But let me ask a question this morning. Are you in the family of God? Oh, yeah, well, I come to church here and all. No, that's, it's not the same. You can come to church here and not be in the family of God. You might say, well, I, I'm in the church. No, that doesn't get you to heaven. Well, but I, I want to be a part. Well, that's great, but that won't get you to heaven. The only way you can get into the family is, of God is being born again into the family of God. Let me show this to you. Turn with me to John chapter 1. It's talking about Jesus Christ here. And of course, this is before... Well, let me put it this way. Of course, John was written, the Gospel of John was written somewhere between AD 90 and AD 95, which is 60 years after Jesus was here. But it's talking about Jesus, and it tells us how a person comes into the family of God. And it's not by good works. It's not by being faithful. My wife and I were... um, we usually will turn on on the way home from, from work, or we leave at five usually, and we turn on the radio and we listen to a portion of Janet Parshall's program in the market. And the other day, there was a man on there. He's a very noted, famous Calvinistic teacher. His name is Stephen Lawson. Was it Friday's program or Thursday's program? One or the, I think it was Thursday. You hear me say this on a regular basis, and I'm the only one that I know of who attacks the terminology today of being a Christ follower. I don't think you've heard anybody else talk about it, that that's a problem. This man was clearly teaching you have to follow Christ to be saved. You have to be a disciple. You have to surrender all. You need to live a faithful, godly life. He is a famous Calvinistic teacher today. He teaches in, I think he teaches in the master seminary with John MacArthur, who's another false teacher. And this man, I mean, he was blatant about it. He was very blatant about it. No, you have to forsake all. You need to, no one else can be before Christ in your life and you need to live a faithful life. And the usual talk, well, how does a person, but then it turns around and he says, no, but Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is true. It's not of works. It's not of works, but you have to live a faithful godly life if you want to go to heaven. Very learned man. And she said, so the difficult, I'm paraphrasing this, okay, the requirements or the challenges, or I can't remember the word, best word for it. God has made it 
the demands. The demands are so high. What if a person says, that's not what I wanted? Why should they still commit themselves to this? Or this is kind of what she was saying. And he says, because if they don't, they'll be lost forever in hell. If you don't live a faithful life, you'll be lost forever in hell. Folks, that is works for salvation. It is a false gospel. It is a damning message. You are not saved by good works. You are not kept by good works. Good works will not get you to heaven. Not even one good work can get you to heaven. Not a lifetime of good works. The only way you go to heaven is through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He paid for all your sins. He offers eternal life as a free gift apart from works. Let me say it very clearly. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone as your savior, if you never after that do one good thing, you'd still go to heaven because you don't go to heaven by good works. Now, God wants his children to live a life of good works. The Bible's very clear. But that is not part of what gets you to heaven. It's only what Christ did on the cross and his payment for sin that gets you to heaven. This is a false gospel. His name is Stephen Lawson. He's a noted Calvinist. He's preaching works for salvation, as is John MacArthur, John Piper, Paul Washer, and so many others. It has to be said because people are following these people. Look up here. Let me show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. This represents you and me. Let this wallet represent all the things we do wrong. We are all sinners, including me. Yet God loves us. God loves us. He hates our sin, though. He loves us. If we die with our sin, we'll be lost forever in hell. That is true. If you die with your sin, you'll be lost forever in hell. The Bible says heaven's a perfect place. For us to get in, we have to be sinless. But we aren't. So we're in a terrible predicament. What are we going to do? Well, good works do not pay for sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. A death payment has to be made. If we do it, again, we'll be lost forever. No escape from hell. But God says, I don't want that for you. I love you so much. I don't want you to go there. So what he did is he himself took on flesh. God, the son, Jesus Christ came to earth. This hand representing him the sinless son of God, therefore qualified to be a substitute for us because he had, he had no sin of his own to pay for. He is sinless. And he lived a perfect life and he went to the cross. And when he died on the cross, he paid for all of our sin. All of it was paid for. The sin of your whole life was laid on Jesus Christ. He died, was buried. He rose from the grave And here's what he says in his word. If you will put your faith in him, if you will believe in him that he made that payment for you, the moment you do, that payment is good on your behalf and he gives you everlasting life. All your sin is taken care of. Now listen, the wages of sin is death, but if you accept the payment Christ made as your payment, you have no death payment to make. Your sins are taken care of. Therefore, there is nothing to send you to hell. And there is nothing to keep you out of heaven. All he's asking you to do is believe he did that for you. 
Look at it, John 1.12. It says, But as many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that do what? Believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's not of the will of the flesh. It's not of the will of man. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't wish it. The only way you go to heaven is by trusting in Jesus Christ. And when you do, you become a child of God. And you become part of the body of Christ. Now, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ and him alone as your Savior, friend, there is no other way to heaven except through him. That's what he said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So will you put your faith in Jesus Christ today as your Savior? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.